want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. We're in a, an amazing series that I'm really enjoying called Wonder, about the miracles of Jesus in the book of John. And I'm going to start off uh, this morning by telling you a story. Um, most, many of you know, uh, if you've been here for a long time, I, I like adventure. I like to take risks. I'm kind of that way by, by nature. And, uh, but I'm convinced that um, when you are between the ages of around 17 to 23, not only can you be adventurous, but you're also adventurous and stupid. And so I would say that probably uh, my best stories of stupidity and adventure happened between those years. And one of those uh, was between the, the, uh, the summer of my sophomore and junior year of college, my parents uh, had moved to uh, Howell, Michigan, uh, which is where we're originally from, that area. And um, my dad, my mom and dad lived in a house that was a few blocks from a, a, few blocks from a lake. You're always near a lake anywhere pretty much in Michigan. But my uncle lived a couple doors down from him. And he had this, my uncle had this really small sailboat. And uh, I thought, well, it would be cool to take that sailboat out on the lake. And so I spent some time trying to convince my uncle that I could handle that sailboat. And he, he's like, have, have you ever been in a, like sailing? And I'm like, yeah, I've been in a sailboat. Can, can you sail? No, but I mean, I've seen it done. You know, but I convinced him. So he trailered that sailboat over to the lake. And, and I went out into, uh, into the lake and kind of paddled it out a little bit and then put up the sail, and I mean, I took off. The wind was great. Took off, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm having a moment here. I'm like feeling like Bill Murray out in, uh, in What About Bob? You know, I'm sailing. I sail. I'm a sailor. You know, that kind of, um, that moment right there. So, uh, <laughs> but off to the west, uh, you can take it down now, guys. Uh, off to the west, I noticed that dark clouds were rolling in. I mean, I'm feeling like I'm in, winning the America's Cup. I mean, the wind, and all of a sudden, everything just went completely dead. This boat isn't moving, and then the winds start picking up again, but they're coming from all different directions, and I'm now trying to get this sail down. I mean, but the boom is whipping back and forth, and I'm trying to duck this thing. I duck it once. It comes back and nails me in the, side, in the back of the head. I get pushed over into the water, and... Honestly, I mean, the rain's come down, the wind's, I mean, the, this boat completely tips over. There's no way I'm going to get this thing back up. And I'm, I'm in the middle of this, this lake. It's not a big lake, but I'm in the middle of it. And, and I don't know how in the world I'm going to get out of this. Fortunately, I've got a life jacket on. And after trying to get the boat back up, and the, it just was a mess because the sail was down under the water, I look over and there's my dad and my uncle standing there, you know, <laughs> waiting for me. And I dog paddled that boat out of that lake uh, all the way to them and caught all kinds of grief for the rest of the day and the summer. But you know what? Here's what, here's what I want to tell you. Life can be a lot like my sailing adventure out on Thompson Lake that day. All of a sudden, I mean, one minute it's like you're sailing along smoothly. You caught a great wind. I mean, everything's going well. And you know how it goes. Life is good. Couldn't be better. Marriage is good. Kids are good. Friendships are good. Job is good. Your health is good. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, out of nowhere... A storm rolls into your life. It's like, boom, the sun disappears. A black, dark clouds settle in. Heavy winds kick in. Rain starts to pour on you. And life just knocks you upside of the head. And you're in the drink trying to figure out how, to, how, how in the world am I going to get out of this? And when that happens, we begin to ask questions. 
in, in Thompson Lake, I'm sitting there going, you're an idiot. What are you, how did you, why did you, con, you know, get into this situation? And my dad was asking me that later. But, um, but a lot of times we're like, you know, hey, God, where are you right now? When, I mean, all of a sudden life was so great. Why am I in this situation? Why would you allow me to be in this situation? Where are you right now when I'm in this situation? And some of you can relate to all of this. You can relate to the scenario because you are currently in a storm. And if you're not in a storm, you probably have either just come out of a storm or you're getting ready to go into one because that's just how life is. But for those of you that are in a storm right now of life or whatever it may look like and and you need a rescue, I want you to to know you're in a great place because we're going to be talking about what happens when you're in a moment like this and you really need a miracle. In John chapter 6, Jesus and his disciples have been hanging out with several thousand people by the Sea of Galilee. They've been actually following him around for several days, and uh, they're listening to him teach. And so naturally, they get hungry. And the disciples are, are unsure what to do with this hungry crowd. And so Jesus decides he's going to do the miraculous. He, he, he takes five loaves, he takes two fishes, and he supernaturally multiplies them, and he feeds what the Bible says over 5,000 men. And there, was, there were women and children there, so there was many, many more than that. And he feeds them until they can't eat anymore. And we're actually going to talk about this miracle next week. But after Jesus feeds everyone, he tells his disciples to hop into a boat and to head to the other side of the sea while he actually dismisses the crowd. Look at, we're going to pick up in verse 16. It says, when the evening came, his disciples went to the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land which they were going. Now this is one of those moments in the Bible where I read a story about Jesus, and I'm really glad that there are more than one account about the story that I'm reading, because this is a story that that just causes me to ask questions. And as you know, there are actually four uh, books in the Bible, they're called the Gospels, that are written specifically about the earthly life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And thankfully, Mark writes about this story. Now, Mark was not one of Jesus' disciples, so he wasn't actually in the boat with the disciples. But most scholars believe that because Mark was a close friend of Peter's, that what Mark wrote, while it was totally inspired by the Holy Spirit, would have been Peter's account of what happened. However, there's also another writer who captured the story. And like John, he was actually in the boat. And by profession, he was a tax collector. Now, why is that significant? Well, if you are somebody who works as a profession with finances or money, you're typically into details. And so when I read Matthew's account of this particular story, I get more of my questions answered. And honestly, when I think about how this is all playing out, it would be kind of like what would happen if I heard this same story from my two sons. My older son, Taylor, if he told me this story, he would give me the straight facts, no frills, and I would probably have to ask, give me some more details about what happened here. My son, Zach, on the other hand, 
he told me this story. Uh, I'm getting all the facts, plenty of details, lots of frills, and I'm probably going, okay, Zach, I've, I've got it, buddy. All right? All right, that's just how differently my, my two boys are wired. And, and, and so when you, when you read these writers, their personalities do come out, even though they're completely inspired by the Holy Spirit as they write. So as I explain what's happening here from John's account, I'm going to fill in some of the gaps of the story with Matthew's account and a little bit from Mark's account, which would have been Peter's account. So after the miracle of the feeding of the multitudes, Matthew's account tells us that Jesus actually hurries his disciples to get into the boat. And he tells them, I want you to go to the other side and I will meet you over there. Now, why was Jesus in such a hurry to get these guys into a boat and away from the crowd? Well, John, if you look before in verse 14, it says, when the people saw the sign that he had done. In other words, when they saw that that he had just multiplied five loaves and two fishes and fed thousands of people, They said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving, 15, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the crowd wants to force Jesus to be king. And Jesus knows that the motives of the people were not spiritual motives. They were actually political motives. The Jewish people had been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come. And after seeing Jesus do this amazing miracle, they all of a sudden realize he is here. He has arrived. Now they want him to free them from Roman occupation, from the Romans ruling them in very, very tough years for the, for the people of Israel. They wanted a political king. They, they, they wanted a military hero. But that's not why Jesus came. It's not what he came to do. He didn't come to be a political figure or a military hero or some kind of you know, great war general who would rescue the Jews from the Romans. He didn't come so that the people of Israel would feel the burn or that, that, that he could make Israel great again. They're jokes, by the way. I just want you to welcome. It's spring forward Sunday, so help me out. Take another drink of coffee if you need it, all right? No, Jesus came to be the savior of the world who would not only rescue the Jews, but the rest of the world from their sins. That's why Jesus came. And Jesus knew that if he didn't get his disciples into the boat and away from the crowds, that they were going to get caught up in all of this fanatical fanfare and, and activity. And he knew, he knew that they weren't spiritually mature enough to handle what the crowds were wanting to do, which was to pull, was to pull Jesus into this. At this point in their journey, I mean, the disciples, they're still trying to figure Jesus out. So when the evening comes and the disciples get in their boat and they actually push off from shore, the bo- Matthew tells us that Jesus dismisses the crowd and he goes up into some place on the mountainside and, he, and, and, and he's actually overlooking now the Sea of Galilee so that he could be by himself and so he could pray. Now the Gospel of Mark tells us that, that at the fourth watch, would have been, which would have been about somewhere between 3 a.m. And, and 6 a.m., the disciples run into a major storm in the Sea of Galilee. Okay, they've been actually battling this storm for a while. John actually tells us that, that they were three to four miles into the sea and the waters become rough and the winds become strong. Matthew tells us that the boat was being beaten up by waves. And I love this. Mark tells us that Jesus looks out and he can actually see the disciples. He can see that they were in trouble. Mark actually tells us that he could see that they were straining at the oars. They were struggling to row the boat. Now, when you do the math, the disciples would have been in this boat for about nine hours. 
Now, that's a long time to be in a boat. And so the, the Sea of Galilee is not that big. I mean, it's, 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 it's some miles, but it's not that big. And, and they are in this boat battling for, for a, quite a while a fierce windstorm in a small wooden fishing boat. Now, remember, these guys, these guys have already had a few really long days of ministry with Jesus. And now they've actually passed out food to feed thousands of hungry people. And now they're doing everything they can do to keep their boat from capsizing. Imagine how completely, I mean, wiped out these men would have been during this experience. But, but Jesus is watching them. And then out of nowhere, he appears to them in the storm. And he's walking on the water. J- John tells us that the disciples were frightened. Matthew gives a little bit more detail and details. And he says they were terrified. They actually begin to cry out because now they think they're seeing a ghost. This is kind of like... You know, some kind of campfire story that you've heard when you were little or something like where somebody all of a sudden puts the flashlight up to their face and everything's dark, you know. The disciples are out in the boat and it's really dark. And then all of a sudden a storm comes out and the winds are blowing and and the seas are raging, my friends. And it's, you know, I mean, we make up, you know, big fish are jumping and, you know, sea lizards. I mean, all this stuff. And, And out of nowhere... There's a man walking, you know, towards us, and, and he's walking on the water. And these men are terrified. And this is some kind of like Blair Witch paranormal activity type stuff going on here. And you, you look at this and you go, no wonder the disciples were, 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 were terrified and actually thought that Jesus was a ghost. Because who's ever seen anybody walk in the water before? But Matthew 14 tells us that immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. As these guys are losing their minds, I love how Jesus responds to them. He tells them, first of all, take heart. In other words, be courageous. Be courageous. And then he says, it is I. Now, in the Greek language, it is I is simply, is simply another way of saying, I am. Take courage. I am. Remember when Moses came across the burning bush? The Lord identified himself using the words, I am. And here Jesus wants these disciples to know that, that God is with them in the storm, that, 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 that the great I am is in their presence. So he identifies himself as I am. And then he says, do not be afraid. In other words, there's no reason to be afraid. There's no need to doubt. I'm the one that created the storms. I'm the one that created these waves. I'm the one that created this water so you can be courageous even when you're scared to death because I am is in control. Now look at how Peter responds to Jesus. He calls him Lord. And Peter answered him in Matthew 14. He says, Lord, if it is you... Command me to come to you on the water. And I love Jesus' response back to him. Just one word. He said, come. Come. Come on, Peter. And the Bible says, so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, this is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. For just, because for just a moment, Peter becomes a water walker. And I want you to think about this. I mean, Peter always had this story in his back pocket. When, when everybody was telling all their great escapades and things that they had done in their life, Peter always could whip out, Hey, did you all hear about the time that I actually walked on water? 
yeah, Peter, we've heard it way too many times. We're done with it, okay? We, we know. But we also know that you begin to sink, too. All right, we know that part about you, Peter. You know, so, you know, it's, it's a cool story. But, you know, and a lot of times when you hear the story, the speaker usually talks about Peter walking on water and, and, how, and about his lack of faith. But this story is not about Peter. He's a player in the story. It's not even about the disciples, even though they're characters in the story. This is a story about Jesus. Matter of fact, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelations is all about Jesus. This miracle is about Jesus. So as we have been doing over the last few weeks, we want to always land with this one statement. Jesus, show me what this miracle is saying about you. So let's turn that into a question. What what is this miracle saying about Jesus? Well, first of all, sometimes Jesus intentionally sends us into storms. Now, let me clarify. Sometimes, like my boat story, we walk ourselves into storms and God allows it to happen. But there are times like this story where God intentionally sends us into a storm. Now, why would Jesus do that? Well, sometimes we need, to, we need the storm in order to be able to see the glory to be able to see the glory of God. We need to see a display of his strength and his power. We need to see the wonder on display. When you read this account of Jesus walking on water, you're actually confronted by two things. First of all, that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God, the Lord God Almighty, because no other human being can do what he is doing in this story. No one in this room has ever walked on water. No one in all of history, except for Peter for just a few seconds, actually has ever walked on water. There's something else that we can't miss. When Jesus walks on water... He had something in mind. If all he wanted to do was to remove the difficulty from the disciples' life, he would never have taken this walk. He would have just calmed the storm from the mountain. He would have just calmed the storm just you know, from the shore. He could have done it. All he had to do was from that storm, just, just with a point of his finger, with a word, he could have calmed that storm. He could, have, he could have stopped that wind, but that's not what happens here. No. Jesus takes the walk because he's not after the difficulty of the storm. He's after the men in the middle of the difficulty of the storm. He is working to change everything that they think about themselves and their lives and what they think about him. And God purposefully sends us into storms sometimes because he knows that sometimes we need to see his power and glory on display so we will learn to depend on on him alone. When Jesus comes to the disciples on the water and he calls himself I am, He wanted them to know that the very God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was with them in the storm. They were not alone. I cannot tell you how many times in my life that I have been in a storm of life and I've prayed for peace. Lord, make the wind stop. Calm the storm. Make the the winds go away. Calm the waters, Lord. Please, just get me to a happy place, some beach somewhere. Do whatever you have to do, please, right now. And there's nothing wrong with praying that way. But listen, real peace is not found in the ease of life. Real peace is is only ever found in the presence and the power and the grace of the Savior, the King, the great I Am. And that peace is yours even when the storms of life take you beyond your natural ability and your natural strength and your wisdom and your courage and even the things that you want to control. The God that lives inside of you is greater than any storm you are facing this morning. 
And God will take us into those storms sometimes just to remind us how powerful he actually is and how much we can depend on him. Now, why would God do that? Why would God allow us to, to walk into these storms and trials and tests? I mean, is he on some kind of power trip or he just he needs to show off, to, to, show, to put his power on display because he's got this big ego thing going on? No, no, no. Listen, he wants to grow our faith and our dependence on him. He wants to grow our faith and our dependence on him. Listen, God knows that we live in a world that is completely falling apart because of sin. When you look at, when you look at this year's presidential election race, it, I mean, we all have to agree. I don't care what you're feeling right now or who you're pulling for. We all have to agree this is the craziest election year I, I've ever seen in my lifetime. I mean, truly, it, it is crazy. And there's a lot of fear there's hatred, there's anger from both sides. I mean, things are even ramping up now. I mean, listen, it's, it's a stormy time to be living in America. All of this racism, all of this division, all of this hatred, it's a result of sin. I don't care who you want to blame for it. It's a result of sin. Is God surprised by any of it? Has it caught him off guard? Absolutely not. I actually believe, and you may not, but I do, I believe God is actually allowing our nation to walk into this storm. Why? Lots of reasons. But I believe one of them is to grow his followers in their faith and to cause us to be totally dependent upon him alone. I believe he wants us to turn to him during this time and to be totally reliant on his strength and on his power. To realize, listen, that the kingdom of God is not America. It's not this world. The kingdom of God, is, it is the here and now. But listen, we, we live for a different kingdom. We are aliens, the Bible calls us, in this time and in this place. So as we are in the midst of this storm, I know know some of you are fearful. I had people tell me after the last service, I know some of you are, you're nervous, you're wondering what's about to happen. You know, honestly, we are children of God. We, We belong to the great I am. We are in the middle of the storm right now. We are in a storm, but we have nothing to fear because we don't belong to this world. We belong to another world. And we're just visitors, we're strangers in this world that God has put here intentionally for a purpose. And what's happening now, honestly, we need to allow it to strengthen us, to, re- to be more reliant on him. Not to, not to be walking around in fear like no one's in control of all of this. God's always in control, and we are in his hands. And we can't forget that right now. Listen, every storm we find ourselves in is a strategic time for God to put his power on display and to grow us in our faith and in our dependence on him. Second thing we learn about Jesus Jesus is always with you during the storms of life. You, you, when, when we find ourselves in the middle of the storm, we often respond just like these disciples did in the boat. We find ourselves confused. We could, we're lonely. We're frustrated. We can be disillusioned. We're terrified. We ask questions. Sometimes we, we become bitter and angry. I mean, these guys must have felt like Jesus hung them out to dry. When they needed him most, where was he? He actually pushed them into it. And now they're out there in the middle of the storm and they had to feel at some point like he had deserted them. Have you ever felt like that before? Lord, you got me into this marriage. You walked me into this marriage and now it's falling apart and I don't feel your presence. Why would you do that? Lord, you you gave me this child or this person I love only to either take him or her away from me or to to watch me walk them. They walk away from me or walk into sin. Well, Lord, I, I, I... I feel like you've completely deserted me at this moment. 
Lord, you, you put this dream in my heart. And now it's like you've shut the door and you've left the building and I'm calling out to you. And Lord, it's like you're nowhere to be found. Psalm chapter 10, verse 1, King David actually, actually complained like this, that God was far away from him and, and very unconcerned. He says, why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far away from me? Why, why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? Even, even though David knew that God would ultimately rescue him and that he was there, this is David asking God the very same questions that we are asking ourselves many times. Where was Jesus actually when the storm was going on? Well, he was on a mountain praying for his disciples that their faith would not fail in the midst of the storm. The whole scene, honestly, is actually a picture of what's happening in our lives right now. We are God's people. We are are caught out at sea in the midst of a storm called living on this earth. And where is Jesus? Romans 8.34 tells us that he is in heaven praying for us right now. Where is the Holy Spirit? He is walking intimately with us. Where is God? He's listening to all of it. He's listening to the prayers of Jesus. He's, he's seeing everything and he's holding it all together. I, listen, I love this truth. The disciples, don't, don't miss this. The disciples are three to four miles out to sea in a raging, terrifying windstorm. And not only is Jesus praying for them, but Mark tells us he's watching them. He's watching them straining at the oars, struggling to row the boat. Because he is God, Jesus could see clearly through the storm, three to four miles into the Sea of Galilee. He could see that the disciples were struggling to row the boat. That storm was causing the water to to hammer their little boat and toss it all over the water. The, The waves had to be intense, but Jesus could see everything that was going on. He never deserted them. He never left them. He could see everything that was going on, and then he came to them. And here's something that I've learned very personally about storms. You may not feel when you're in a storm that Jesus comes quickly enough to you. But the fact is this. He's never actually left us. He knows exactly when to make his presence known. And oftentimes it's when we need him the most. Oftentimes, listen, it's, it's when we, we, we are completely desperate for him. When we've run out of our own strength, our own answers, are, when, we're, when we're going, okay, I, I have, I, I'm out of control here. I can't control this any longer. I have nothing left to give here. And that's when Jesus shows up here. Jesus waited until this boat was as far as land from possible. Why? So that all human hope would be gone. And all these men were left to do was to depend on Jesus. That's all they had left. And at the right moment, Jesus came. Walking on the water. Listen, you may not feel the Lord's presence with you this morning. But I promise you, he's with you. He, he, he's with you through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. You may not sense it at this moment, but he will always make his presence known to us in the storms of life. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2 says, when you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. So you can live with hope and courage in the, midst, in the, midst of, in the middle of whatever storm you're in this morning because you're never alone. You can live in victory today with whatever is causing you to feel fearless or to feel hopeless because you're never alone. The great I am is with you in every situation you are facing. He is in the storm that you are currently dealing with. He's there in every relational issue that you struggle with right now. He's he's there in every health issue you're struggling with right now. Whatever it looks like, he is with you to show you his strength and his power and his glory. He is with you 
He is in you, he is for you, and he is your hope this morning. He's your hope. The third thing that we, that we see about Jesus is that if Jesus asks you to take a step of faith, even if it's in a storm, you can trust him. He will see you through. Why in the world would Jesus walk on water? Jesus used the very thing that the disciples were afraid of the most at that moment as a means to come to them. Warren Wearsby says, oftentimes we fear the difficult experiences of life only only to discover that these experiences bring Jesus Christ closer to us. After the disciples realized that Jesus was not a ghost, Peter says, Lord, if it's truly truly you, Lord, command me to come to you, to walk on the water. And Jesus just responds to him in one word, come. Jesus is actually calling Peter, trust me, step out of the boat in the midst of this terrifying windstorm, Peter, walk on the water with me. Now the fact that Jesus is already walking on water is miraculous enough, but all of a sudden, He's inviting Peter into the miraculous with him. He's inviting him into the story to overcome his fears and to walk in faith. And there's this pattern that I see throughout Scripture when God asks someone to walk in faith. There's there's always a call. There's always fear. There's always reassurance. There's always a decision. And there's always life change. In 1996, when when God was calling Amy and I to, to, to leave Lynchburg, Virginia, and to move here to start Westridge Church, which we actually did in 97, I will tell you this. There was a call. There was a lot of fear. There was reassurance, not only from God, but from people that loved us who were pouring into us at this time. There was a decision to be made. We had to, make, we had to step out in faith and make that decision. And there has been a lot of life change. None more than me and my wife and my family. That's, that's how God works. If Jesus says the word, come, then the word is going to accomplish its intended purpose in your life. God is, listen, he is not only the author, but he is the finisher of our faith. He's the completer. In other words, whatever work he is starting in you, he's going to complete it. He's going to see you through. He's going to see it through to completion. So if Jesus is calling you, to take a step of faith, if he's calling you in, into the rough waters of the open sea, you can trust him enough to get out of the boat and to walk towards him because not only will he be with you, but he'll see you through. Well, what if I take a step of faith? What if, what if I trust Jesus enough? What if, I, what, if, what if I walk into the water and all of a sudden my fear overtakes me? Or somehow or another I, I, I mess up I, I slip away, I fall into sin, and, and, and I start to sink. Here's the fourth thing. When we mess up or we begin to sink, out of grace, Jesus will pull us up. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, Peter, he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, Why did you doubt? Now, oftentimes, Peter gets such a bad rap in this story. I mean, how many times, oftentimes, I mean, he, so many sermons I've heard over the years, Peter gets just hammered for not having enough faith. However, I want to point out something to you. Peter is the only one that had enough faith to get out of the boat. He's the only one out on the water. But the Bible tells us, does tell us that when Peter gets out of the boat, he runs into a crisis of belief. He saw the wind and he was afraid. 
And once he was afraid, he began to sink down into the water. And as he begins to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. And I love what Jesus does. He reaches out his hand and he pulls him up. And he says these words, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I want you to, as you read that, I want you to circle. It's one of those markup series. I want you to circle this word in your Bible. Circle the word doubt. Now, the word doubt means to stand with uncertainty at two options. In other words, Peter started off with this great faith, with his eyes on Jesus, but he ended up with little faith because instead of keeping his eyes focused on Jesus the whole time, he also caught the wind. His eyes also began to look at the wind. He saw two things instead of one, and and he wasn't completely sure about either one of them. Instead of focusing his eyes on Jesus alone, he also focused his eyes on the strength of the storm, on the strength of the wind, and when he did, down he went. Now, honestly, I I don't think that Jesus was bashing Peter or chastising him. Listen, I, I don't think he was looking at him going, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Get your back in the boat. (laughs) No, no, I believe, listen, I believe he he lovingly just reached out his arm and grabbed him and probably smiled because he knew Peter. He had been through things with Peter before. He watched Peter be impetuous to struggle with faith, but he knew that Peter was adventurous and sometimes a little stupid. And he just reached out and he just lovingly pulled him in. And he just said, Peter, why did you doubt? Why, is your faith, why did you have a faith moment here? And together, I believe they just climbed back into the boat. When I see this, I go, what a picture of grace. And for some of you this morning, you need some grace, don't you? Maybe you've stepped out in faith and, and you've taken a, a risk and you've walked into something and you are fearful right now and you, you see Jesus but you see something else you, 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 and you're doubting and you're sinking. Part of the story is for you to remind you that when you're gonna, you run into moments like that, Jesus is offering his arm to pull you out. Some of you in here, you have messed up. You are in sin. You are away from God. You are struggling. You are in a storm. And the same grace that saved you is the same grace that will pull you up out of the mess that you're in, that will provide forgiveness. Listen, Peter didn't, this isn't a moment, he didn't lose his salvation here. That's not what happens here. Peter, we don't know exactly when these disciples all got saved. I mean, there's a lot of debate about that, okay? But what Peter needed more than anything was because I believe Peter was probably saved at this point. But what, what Peter, he said, so it wasn't saving grace, it was sustaining grace. It was strengthening grace. It was rescuing grace. And for some of you, you don't, you don't need Ephesians 2, 9 and 10, or 8, 8 and 9 grace. What, what, what you need right now, that which is saving grace, you, you need strengthening grace. You need rescuing grace because you messed up. And Jesus is holding out his arm to you here today. Some of you, 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 you've got your eyes on two things. You're in doubt. You're, you're, your faith is wavering. And Jesus offers his strengthening grace to pull you up out of the place that you're in. I love this. Notice what happens once they get into the boat. Matthew and Mark tells us the wind dies down. Miracle. Jesus, John reports that the boat immediately arrives at shore like someone put a motor on it. Another miracle. Mark actually tells us that the disciples were completely amazed because 
they didn't understand the feeding of the 5,000. It didn't make any sense to them. They didn't get it. I, I scratch my head at that one, honestly. But Matthew finishes the whole story off by telling us that when they got back into the boat, Peter and Jesus, that the disciples worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. Now, if you remember when we started this whole series, I told you that every miracle that Jesus performed was to bring glory to God and to strengthen the faith of his followers. You may be in a stormy season of your life right now. And I want you to know that sometimes we walk ourselves into those things and God knows it, he allows it. But sometimes Jesus intentionally sends us into the storms so he can put his power on display, so he can grow us deep, so he can strengthen our faith. And when you're in that place, Jesus is always with you. Even if you don't feel him, he's always with you. And if Jesus asks you, whether you're in a storm or not, to take a step of faith, you can trust him because he will always see you through. And when you mess up and you begin to sink out of grace, he will always, always hold out his arm to you and pull you back in. And for some of you right now, that's what you need. You just need the loving arm of Jesus just to pull you back in because your faith is wavering. For some of you, you are away from the Lord right now. You know for a fact that you're a Christian, that you've you've come to Jesus Christ in salvation. But you, you, so it's not saving grace you need, but you need, you need a rescuing grace, a strengthening grace. Some of you are struggling. You're in a stormy season. It's a rescuing grace. And Jesus lovingly holds out his arm to pull you back in. For some of you, you do need saving grace. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your personal savior. Whether this was the moment of the, of, of the disciples' salvation when they confessed, Jesus, you are the son of God. We really don't know. A lot of debate about that. Could have been. But for some of you, you are lost at sea with no hope in this world and certainly no hope in the next. And you need the grace that God offers that you could never create in your own power, which where Jesus reaches down his arm, having died on the cross for your sins with a tomb empty and says, I did this for you. Come into my family. Let me rescue you from your sins. Let me rescue you from being lost. Let me help you. This is, this is saving grace right here. Come to me. I paid for all of your sin so that you could be made right with God and have forgiveness once and for all and have an eternity in heaven.